I'm going to give you guys a little scavenger hunt this morning. You need to figure out before I get there why Pete decided to read from the book of Jonah and Ephesians chapter 2. So keep that in your head. If you can figure that out, you win nothing but the pride of winning that scavenger hunt. And so last week we ended in chapter 9 verse 43 and says this. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. Now, before I explain why I'm reading that particular passage, I want you to remember back to a few weeks ago when I changed the name of the sermon midway to the gospel changes everything. See, the gospel, as we're seeing it unfold in the book of Acts, is right before our eyes changing everything. And so why do I read this passage um, in verse 43 about Peter staying in Joppa for many days with one Simon a Tanner? Because this particular verse is a bridge leading to where God has been driving this train all along. All right, so a couple of things. It says that he stayed in Joppa, or maybe a better way of reading that, he remained in Joppa. See, Peter remains. He didn't ride the wave of the latest miracles he performed. He, he stood still for a few minutes. He remained, as I'll explain in a few minutes, on the outskirts of town, which is where a tanner would set up their shop, because what a tanner did was they would produce leather, and they were working with dead animals, and the smell that would come from a tanner's shop was so horrific that they kind of kept them on the outside. And in fact, they would have been considered unclean. So this job that was necessary in the ancient world, and and it's still a, a profession today. I'm getting a new one of these. I don't know if I told you guys. It's still something that's done. It's it's a need, but it was still considered to be unclean. He remained on the outskirts of town, and he remained in what would be considered an unclean space, and he remained with someone who would have been considered unclean. All that to say, this brief comment, which reveals to us Peter's willingness to cross some boundaries, is setting us up for a major shift in redemptive history, whereby clean and unclean will be determined no longer by one's ethnicity, occupation, or what they might have put their hands on that day, but rather by the cleansing power of our Lord through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, And such were some of you sinners, but you were washed You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so that's the context of this story. Let's take a look at the first point about the ninth hour in your bulletins. If you look on the right side, we have a brief outline. On the left side is a portion of the text we're going to be looking at, but not the entire thing because we're going to be looking at a lot of text this morning. So it says this, verses 1 through 8, chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, like right there, like we'd all be kind of freaking out, right? 
And he stared at him in terror and he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So a couple of observations before we jump in to what's going on here. First thing, as I said, this is an important and paradigm-shifting story in the book of Acts, similar to Saul's conversion story. This story is recounted three times in the book of Acts, which means Luke wants us to pay attention. He wants us to hear what's going on. This is a big deal what's happening here. Like I said, a major shift in redemptive history. This event takes place in Caesarea, which is said to be the second largest city in Judea next to Jerusalem. And there were tensions between Jews and Gentiles in this area. According to Josephus, an ancient um, historian, in the year 66, Syrians in Caesarea massacred 20,000 Jews in a single hour. Cornelius, he was a powerful man with the authority of Rome behind him, yet he was also a devout God-fearer, meaning that he was a Gentile who worshipped the God of Israel. He was a Gentile who worshipped the God of Israel. He had just not yet been circumcised. And another thing that pops out, the ninth hour was the time of day set aside for religious observance among Israelites. Again, identifying this man as someone who loves God. And he's visited by an angel, and he's instructed to send for Peter, who's about 30 miles away in Joppa. And they didn't have cars back then, so they would have had to either travel by foot or by car. And so that was a great distance that I had to travel. So what's the point? Cornelius, while frightened, demonstrates a level of faithfulness that when compared to Peter should actually shock us, considering all of Peter's experiences that we're well aware of. I mean, this man saw the resurrected Jesus in person. And we're going to see in just a minute, he reverts back to some of his old ways. But, but here we have Cornelius who just says, oh, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it, whatever you say. And, and it's interesting, right? It's popped into my, my brain that sometimes the religious folk are so caught up in their religion that they miss out on what God is doing right before their eyes. They miss out on what God is doing right before their eyes. Let's, let's continue reading a bit. Verses 9 through 16, it says, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour. So we're shifting, right? We were looking at Cornelius, and now the scene shifts to look at Peter. Right? There's a double vision going on, similar to what happened with Saul and Ananias. A double vision is happening to accomplish something for the sake of the kingdom. He's talking to two separate groups of people, unfolding his plan to both of them. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, verse 10. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. 
But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once into heaven. So what are we seeing here? Peter's praying. Chances are he might even be fasting. He falls into a trance. And this is so interesting because this is actually the same word used in Genesis chapter 15 when Abraham is put into a deep sleep where God then shows him that the promise he made to him will come true. He kind of seals his covenant with Abraham that he will have descendants that will number the stars. And if we go back a little bit into Genesis chapter 12, those descendants will expand throughout all of the world because the people of Israel will be a blessing to whom? All the nations. So I don't think it's a mistake that Luke is referencing, even in a slight echo sort of way, Genesis 15, because what we're seeing happening in this text is the unfolding of that promise where all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through the seed of Israel, namely Jesus, the Son of God. The heavens opened, which again should take us back to other theophanies, times when the presence of God was made so abundantly clear in the natural world. And the food that is on that sheet consists of both clean and unclean items, rendering all of those items unclean. And what's really interesting is that it also alludes back to creation, the birds of the air. And so what do we have going on here is that possibly a new creation story where the borders of Israel are beginning to extend throughout the world. This is a worldwide endeavor that we are witnessing taking place right now, that we are part of that we are a part of. We're singing this morning, and Pete's reading Ephesians 2, and for some reason, Ephesians 2, which is a pretty technical text, just got me welling up with so much emotion because I'm sitting here thinking, it's like, okay, the two become one. I'm a part of that now, praise God. We're a part of that now, praise God. See, the new thing that God is doing means that we now have access to God as as Gentiles. Unless you descend from, from a Jewish sort of background, see, the Gentiles didn't have that same access, at least not in the way that we have it now. And then Peter is commanded to rise, kill, and eat, to which he refuses three times. That should actually bring up some memories about Peter. Peter likes to be reminded of things three times. He denied Jesus three times. If I remember correctly, while they were having breakfast on the beach, he was told to love me and care for my sheep three times. What's the point? See, God determines what is clean. God determines what is clean. And while this vision might be about food... It's not really about food. 
See, there's a lot more going on here. In fact, when we start to think about food is actually one of the ways that God blesses us, that we can engage with other cultures. When you sit down around a table with somebody, someone who is from a different world than you are, someone who's from a different ethnicity, background, um, country, whatever the case may be, you get to experience a taste of that person when you sit around their table. And what this vision does is it actually opens the doors for that sort of thing to take place. That we no longer have to worry about, well, well, I don't know if I can eat that piece of pork. Because God has said it's clean. And what should excite us about this passage is not that we can now eat pork chops, lobster, and have our steak cooked medium rare, although all of those things are wonderful. What should excite us about this passage is that the dinner table no longer places a barrier between those from other cultures, but rather now serves as one of the primary places where we can experience one another. What a beautiful thing, right? That we can step into the lives of other people around a table. See, what's happening in this passage is that God is opening up what theologians call table fellowship to the rest of the world. He's opening up table fellowship to the rest of the world. And even thinking it's amazing what could happen when a man like Peter or men and women like us choose to wait to remain, to tarry without rushing to the next event that God speaks in those moments. As he remained in Joppa, as he prayed and possibly fasted, it was at that moment that God spoke, that God entered into creation to reveal his will. And so, so there's this kind of like sidebar sort of instruction here that maybe we need to slow down a little bit. We need to wait. We need to sit still before God. Allow him to speak to us. Allow him to move us. But oh, what's happening here in the bigger picture is that the gates that separate people, the barriers that are erected between nations, between, between, between different types of people, tribes, and ethnicities are being broken down right before our eyes. And that should, that should cause us to just praise God with everything we have, with everything we have. The text continues, verses 17 through 43. This is a, a big chunk we're going to read through here, and I'll comment along the way. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. He was inwardly perplexed, reasonably so. Reasonably so, because he's in a trance, and he's told to do something by God that he had been instructed against for all of his life. And so he's like, what, uh, what, are, we, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? It'd be, like, it'd be like if all of a sudden someone just said to you, it's like, okay, now you drive on the left side. And it's like, whoa, wait, what do you mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, no, we're changing it up. We're changing up. There's, there's a new sheriff in town, if you will, right? And so he continues going. And he saw heaven, um, I lost my spot, verse 17 through 43. Okay, and he called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, again, that word shows up, and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? 
And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to this house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. Something's happening here. He invited them in to be his guest. Simon is hanging out with Simon the Tanner, who's already making him unclean. And now Peter's inviting more unclean people into his home. Maybe the vision's starting to click a little bit. Maybe things are starting to come into place for him. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Let that sit for a second. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And, he, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent me. That's an interesting verse, without objection. I and mean, there was a couple of objections, Peter, but okay. Okay. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner. That guy comes up again by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been, see have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are, all, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by God. And so a couple of observations as we work our way through this text, and there's some more to read. We're not going to be able to cover everything, as I said, but we're going to try and hit the highlights. So like I said, Peter is confused, inwardly perplexed, which makes sense. And then notice that Peter is leaving from Joppa, reluctantly so, to visit a Gentile Roman centurion who held a position that could lead to a dangerous encounter for Peter. Does anyone have Jonah for 500, right? There's that reference right there. Because wasn't Jonah also asked to leave from Joppa to go to the Ninevites, a nation that could have destroyed him to proclaim good news? But what does Jonah say? Jonah's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And he runs away and he gets swallowed up by a big fish and he gets vomited out on the shores of Nineveh. And Nineveh repents. And we see a similar sort of story happening here. By God's grace, Peter is tweaked by the Holy Spirit, and he recognizes that God is right. That God is right. And then we see Cornelius fall down at Peter's feet while blasphemous in its own right to offer worship to anyone but God. It does hint at something. I want to read to you a quote by a scholar named Michael Thomas. He says this, Roman centurions even in their role as diplomats and peacekeepers, did not habitually fall in reverence at the feet of conquered peoples and their gods. This seemingly minor detail, which would have delighted Luke's Christian readers, functions as a part of a clear message. Eventually, Rome will submit to Christ. Eventually, Rome will submit to Christ. 
And so what happens then? Peter begins preaching the good news, which Pastor Tim read for us earlier. And so what's the point? The good news of Jesus changes everything. It changes everything. And in this case, it must change any preconceived notions that we might have regarding people who are different from us. See, the gospel breaks down barriers so that we are no longer separated, but rather we are brought together under the banner of Christ. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 2 that Pete read for us earlier. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, a pretty horrible place to be in. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then... We are no longer strangers and aliens, but rather fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That is good news, Redeemer. The dividing walls of hostility have been obliterated. And no longer is anyone to be judged by anything other than whether or not they possess the Spirit. See, that is the only thing that matters. And while theologically this is super important, practically this means that we too must show no partiality. That we too cannot keep people at arm's length because there's something different about them that we might not be particularly fond of. In fact, the minute we start keeping one another at arm's length, we need to start looking at our own lives and start, and start asking God, where do I lack faith? What's wrong with me, God, that I feel the need to distance myself from a person, a group, or whatever? See, God is doing something here. God is flipping everything on its head. And we need to be going along for the ride with him, submitting to what he's calling us to. Fighting against the temptation that Peter is wrestling with as he wrestles with that vision. It's, it's interesting because while this event happens to Peter and he's visited by God himself, he has another encounter later on in his life. Where once again he chooses to distance himself from the uncircumcised. And when Paul caught wind of this, it says in Galatians that he opposed him to his face. See, when I was younger... I got invited to a friend's house 
probably around fourth grade. And this particular friend lived right next door to my best friend. And when I went to this other friend who was not my best friend, see, this particular person wasn't exactly someone who would be described as popular in school. I kind of was. I, I don't know what that means, but I was. And, and I was friends with this particular person, my best friend. And when I went to this other guy's house, I remember being there and being terrified that my friend next door was going to see me. And in fact, what ended up happening, my friend next door came out to play basketball, and I meandered over to his house and left my other friend in the dust because I showed partiality. And see, what God is calling, and, and you know, that was a long time. I was in fourth grade. I don't do that anymore. But what God is calling us to is to not show partiality, to not show partiality. The text goes on, verses 44 through 1118. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, remember, he's proclaiming the good news to Cornelius and the people that he had gathered in verses 34 through 43. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? It's kind of like, could somebody get some water here? Because God's working. See, God's here, so let's do what he's commanded us to do. Let's baptize these people. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. See, Peter's got a habit he's developing and cultivating of, of slowing down, of remaining for a few days. And it, and it continues, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them? Are you out of your mind? Wait, you went and hung out on the other side of the tracks? Are you, what's wrong with you, Peter? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet, descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. It seems like he's a little bit more honest right now. I don't know what's going on. Um, this happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent 
They glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Praise the Lord. And so people always say that the sequel never really measures up to the original. But what we're looking at here is Pentecost Part 2. Pentecost Part 2. And let me tell you, the sequel is just as good as the original, maybe even more exciting. Because now the gospel is breaking into every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every single one of us, most of us sitting in this room, are sitting here because of Acts chapter 10 and 11. That's good news. So what do we see? The Holy Spirit falls upon them, thus fulfilling that Joel 2 prophecy once again, that God's people shall never be put to shame, and that all flesh... All types of flesh might receive the Holy Spirit. We see that the circumcision party is angry because Peter ate with them, but once they hear that the Holy Spirit was involved in this, they're like, oh, I guess we don't have anything to say. Man, I pray that that would be our posture. Right? Imagine if you're sitting here and you're a Republican and you heard that a Democrat received the gospel. Can you accept that? Or maybe you heard someone from, from, from another maybe racial um, sort of identity receive the gospel. Can you accept that? Can you accept that someone who is 100% different from you received the good news of Jesus? See, it's, it's pushing us to hear this stuff. It's challenging all of our preconceived notions about people. We need to remember that image bearers are just that. They are image bearers. They bear the image of God, and we must show no partiality. The good news of Jesus breaks down barriers between Jew and Gentile, between clean and unclean, so that we can freely sit down and fellowship with whomever God places in our path. With whomever God places in our path which opens the doors for the good news to extend to every tribe, tongue, and nation. The presence of the Holy Spirit. It teaches us that it is only through his work that we are rendered clean. Remember what I read from 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, the garden was meant to extend and cover the face of the earth. Israel was called to be a blessing to the nations. This was all accomplished through the person and work of the true and faithful Israelite, Jesus Christ. See, he bound Satan so that he might not deceive the nations. He restored a remnant and reconstituted Israel. And now... The borders of Israel are extending to the ends of the earth. All of us being grafted on to that beautiful olive tree 
that Paul speaks of in the book of Romans. What a glorious thing that we get to be called the people of God, that we are free to proclaim good news to whomever it is that we come in contact with, that we can sit at the table with whomever it is, that we can open up our homes to whomever it is that we might come in contact with because we know that God shows no partiality and he calls us to go and do likewise. This text contains enormous theological implications. The Abrahamic covenant is being fulfilled. The great commission is being fulfilled. As Jerusalem is now on board with the gospel going to the Gentiles, but while there are enormous theological implications, there are also so many practical implications that we must draw from this story. Who are we keeping at arm's length because they represent what we believe to be unclean? God shows no partiality. What groups of people do we look down our noses at? God shows no partiality. Which groups of image bearers have we identified as animals or unsophisticated? God shows no partiality. Maybe we've seen certain groups and we believe ourselves to be inherently better than them because of our socioeconomic status or whatever it is that we might, whatever barrier we might be erecting between us and them. God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. Peter denied God three times. He thought himself to be wiser than God, dare I say holier than God. See, when we place ourselves above anyone, whether it be because they belong to a different class a different ethnicity because their food looks and smells different from our own or because they vote in a different way or believe something different from us, we are placing ourselves on the throne of Almighty God. We are believing ourselves to be wiser and more holy than God because it was God who took on flesh and dwelt with the lowest of the low, hailing from the backwoods town of Nazareth, sitting down with tax collectors and sinners, reaching out his hand and touching what was considered to be unclean. If we are to show the world what God is like, then we must go and do likewise, for God shows no partiality. The gospel changes everything. Those of us who have bent our knee to King Jesus, our sins have been forgiven. We are adopted into a new family, and we have been instructed to live in a way that reveals God to the world, proclaiming the good news in both word and deed so that the world might catch a glimpse of what God is like, and God shows no partiality. That is good news, Redeemer Fellowship, because we're sitting here for that very fact. Let's go to the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this paradigm-shifting moment in redemptive history that opened the door so that many of us that are sitting in this room might have access to the good news of your son, Jesus, that we, too, are brought into the family of God. That your son's inheritance has become our inheritance. Father, I pray that we would just 
embrace this good news, Father. I pray that we would allow it to penetrate every single fiber of our being, that we too would be changed in in every single possible way, Father. And Father, I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged to go out and proclaim good news to a lost and dying world, that we would open our tables to our neighbors, whether they look different from us, act different from us, believe different from us, that we would be caught up in this beautiful thing called the church, Lord God. Father, we love you with all of our hearts, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.